0: The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me on this episode as we take a look at all the uh, recent good news the Gators have that that's been coming their way is Will Miles from his site read and reaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will with the holidays and everything you were traveling a good bit last week Uh, we've talked behind the scenes plenty of the the Gators Orange Bowl victory over Virginia Uh, but you know before we move on to all the good news that the Gators have gotten uh, you know recently uh, final thought on the season: the the Orange Bowl probably you know not the performance everybody wanted uh, from the Gators, but still, uh, as I said last week, when uh, when you don't play your best, and can still come out uh, victorious, uh, especially in the season end, there's uh, a good way to end the season.
1: Yeah, and I mean you know Virginia scores at the end of the game to make it a. An eight-point margin, but at the end of the day, the only person who really cared about that were people who'd been gambling on the game. They were sort of sweating out there at the end with McPherson's field goal and then and then the touchdown coming down the other way. I mean, you know, I I consider that basically a two-touchdown win. I think it's an impressive win for Mullen, and and you go eleven and two. That's obvious. You know, he said at the end of the game, it's hard to go from from four to ten, but then it's even harder to go from ten to eleven, and and next year he's going to want to go from eleven to fourteen. So um, that's obvious a pretty big jump. And this Monday night, we're going to have that, uh, you know, the example of a team that did that the year before. So, um, certainly I think there's a blueprint to do that. And we'll see whether Florida can do that over the soft season with the recruits they're bringing in and, uh, and turn the corner.
0: Well, as I brought up of what we'll have, uh, in, in this episode, man, but, uh, Gator Nation riding high right now, man. Some a lot of good news. Like I said, we'll get into it. But uh, players announcing they're coming back and, and big time commits and transfers. It's uh, just been an abundance of good news for Gator fans.
1: Yeah, man. Nobody can say there aren't any five stars on the roster, and so uh, <laughs> no one is happier about that than me. Let me say that right off the bat. But uh, yeah, good news going around both through the transfer portal, but also you know the the recruiting is really starting to look up with where they're ranked. Um, you know, by, by 24-7 and by rivals and bringing in guys like Henderson and and some other guys that are, you know, potentially going to come in as well. So it's an exciting time for the program. I think things are starting to pick up a little bit in that realm. Still obviously not at the Georgia and Alabama level, but, uh, you know, progress.
0: Progress, progress. And as Will and I will get to it, have argued the last couple of days, Florida's not that far from Georgia. So we we got plenty of time, plenty of ball season for that. So uh, here we go. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there and News 4 Jack's coverage of the Gators. Also, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or watch us live on YouTube like many of you are doing right now. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show and on social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, this episode being recorded on uh, Monday night. And of course the big news on Monday was the return of uh, Marco Wilson. And uh, you know, if this one, if you had polled Gator fans will before the season, this was one uh, we would have thought there was no way uh, he was coming back for a senior season. Maybe not the season he projected uh, or many projected that, that that he would have uh, here. So maybe, you know, that, that leads back to uh, him, him coming back here, but uh, he announced us today, quote i will be returning to the university of florida for another year our team has a lot of goals that we are still working to accomplish and i would love to be a part of that experience i cannot wait to get back to work with my brothers for this upcoming season so well I, you, know, you look at it and i really think i really think this uh really speaks to Florida's situation at the cornerback situation looking for looking forward now uh, you know after a, a, a a great showing this season in, in, in limited time for Kyer Elam, and now the return of Wilson. That you know, there's not a lot of worry and not a lot of guessing about what's going to happen at the, the outside cornerback positions coming up this season. Uh, did Wilson have the season we expected him to have? Probably not. Uh, just a good, you know, good year. Uh, be, being graded on a scale uh, against himself uh, that we, you know, had expectations of uh, this season: thirty-six tackles, two and a half tackles for loss three interceptions, two pass breakups, uh, in a hurry, uh, you know, in his red shirt sophomore year this season, uh, he was returning from that torn ACL, uh, didn't seem to show many ill effects from that injury from what I could tell, uh, you know, besides CJ Henderson and Jawan Taylor, you know, this secondary looks to be returning everyone from this past season. And that could be looked at as, you know, not so good (laughs) at the nickel and safety positions, uh, here. So, you know, I, I, I don't think we'll see Marco back at that nickel spot next season, as I think that was just a Band-Aid uh, for this season. I look for, you know, Chester Kimbrough, maybe to, to make a big contributor there, maybe Amari Bernie. But as I said uh, just a second ago, now with with Elam and what we saw last week in the Orange Bowl around this time uh, last week, and now Wilson returning. You know, Florida's, you know, we got that moniker uh, you know, out there with a lot of other schools, DBU, uh, you know, well, hopefully, you know, Wilson returns back to that form that we have Projected to him to have this past season, along with you know, the, the recent play of Kyrie.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that he comes back. I mean, there was, even when you look at his freshman year in 2017, there was quite a bit of inconsistency for both corners. Um, Now, part of that was the team was struggling with the McIlwain death threats and all the different things that were going on there. But at the same time, there were inconsistencies in 2017. I think you can say the same thing about 2019. I think a lot of that is probably due to the injury coming off the ACL injury. And I think you saw more towards the end of the year, a lot more comfort out there. I mean, he just looked uncomfortable, especially in the Miami game, with the uh, with the pass interference on the on the third or fourth and long whatever it was and and some situations like that and a lot of times that's just going to come with experience too and you forget that you know this was his redshirt sophomore year right so he's still got two more years of eligibility because of the redshirt from the injury i'm sure so um, i don't expect him to be here two more years but certainly it's nice to get one more from him and you know your comments about about Kembro and and Jaden Hill and and those guys who got experience i mean that's going to be an important thing And to that, you add Jahari Rogers, who's 120th ranked overall player at corner. And then you've got Ethan Pouncey as well, 128th. So they're bringing in a couple of guys who can probably, you know, that you think at least one of those guys is probably going to contribute right away. So, yeah, I think you can start saying that maybe the defensive backfield was a little bit of a liability this year for Florida. And with the one more year for Wilson, one more year for Trey Dean, and then those freshmen who really stepped up, you know, Elam, Kimbrough, and Hill, you know, one more year in the system for those guys. Yeah, it's going to start to look like a, a team that can really start to shut you down on the backside. And uh, that, that, that's obviously an important thing when you're going up against a Joe Brady offense there at LSU every year.
0: Yeah, I still think the the big question, and, and you've kind of alluded to it, and I just alluded to it uh, as well, is what does happen uh, at the safety positions and, 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 and that nickel spot? I, I feel pretty good about the nickel spot. I, I think they'll get that one figured out to where, uh, whether it be Kimbrough, um, Jadon Hill, uh, Kimber's kind of the guy I'm pegging there now. Amari Burney, of course, we know he can slide over and play in that, that versatile role. But it's more important what happens at safety and, and that play – if Brad Stewart didn't take that jump, I really expected him to take based off based off of you know some of the big plays that we saw um, you know, in the 2018 season, the, the big time interception against Tennessee where he jumps up and, and plucks the ball away from a receiver, and of course the 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 picking off uh, Burrow and in, in, in the swamp and, and returning that and getting the big win versus LSU, uh, just didn't really take off uh, from that like many of us thought. Missed some time at the beginning of the season, so maybe Brad Stewart lives up to that next year and. And that what happens with Trey Dean, this Trey Dean, we haven't really seen him in that safety role uh, a whole lot. He had to play the outside cornerback position last year because of Marco Wilson being injured uh, there They tried him at the nickel spot this year. And we'll get into to some of that when some of our preseason predictions and like I, I kind of labeled that he would have the biggest shoes to fill from Chauncey Johnson Gardner Johnson's role. And, and it turned out that way uh, there. So you know, what happens with Trey Dean? Can they pick him? Can they move him back to the safety spot to kind of, give him one last uh, chance to maybe get it figured out there. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I, I think uh, the, the, some of the recruits, Chavez Johnson, uh, from here in Jacksonville area, can. You know, the way everybody loves. Uh, it, it's gonna, it, 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 I'll say it all the time. It's hard for freshmen to come in and make an immediate impact there. Uh, but I mean, maybe in the defensive backfield, maybe you look at a player like that who can say safety. Florida needs help there. So it, it's not going to surprise me whatsoever if, if it is a, if a true freshman comes in and, and makes his mark fail early because that was a big weakness on this defense and that defensive backfield.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I said inconsistency when it came to Marco Wilson. I think you can say that about the entire defensive backfield. And and to be honest, I think you can even say that about C.J. Henderson in some mm-hmm. respects, that at least he was less consistent this year than he was last year. But I mean, obviously, last year he was lights out. So, um, you know, to expect him to come back and replicate that, I think maybe is asking quite a bit. But um, yeah, you know, there's a reason I, I mentioned in the article that I wrote to wrap up sort of the season on the on the Virginia game that, you know, there were a lot of people complaining about the, the play of Donovan Steiner, on Taylor, but there's a reason why those guys were in there. I mean, the past that the past that uh, the that the Virginia quarterback just airmailed when he really had an opportunity to make that game a whole lot closer was with the other set of safeties out there on the field. And and mm-hmm. it's not. It's the problem is is at least this year there were four imperfect players out there, and there were guys who missed assignments, and there were guys who didn't necessarily have the physical skills to to keep up in some capacity as well. Where the defense would want to target them, and and you know maybe some of those guys who have physical limitations are going to get stronger this off season and step up. Maybe some of the guys who have been less consistent in terms of being where they're supposed to be are going to, are going to be able to study up or maybe there are going to be new guys who come in and take the job. I I think, um, you know, they've been pretty consistent in bringing in a fairly significant number of defensive backs every year. Um, What we've seen from Kyrie, I think is very promising. Um, What we've seen from Marco Wilson is promising if he can put an entire season together. And then, like I said, I mean, I think corners probably the place where it's easiest to step up Mm -hmm. as a true freshman. And so, so, you know, you've got some new guys coming in as well. There are an awful lot of defensive backs in this class, not just the two guys I mentioned. There, there's five or six defensive backs in this class. So they clearly have recognized that as an area of need and have gone out and identified people and brought them in.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sean Davis, I think you can feel pretty good about still being back there in, in that safety role uh, a good bit. As you said, uh, you know, he's the one He's one of the players who started the season out really hot and then kind of, you know, you didn't hear much from it at the end. Uh, they're, Basically, and that's kind of a good thing, too. He wasn't really giving up big plays. And as you said, inconsistency, you know, Dom and Steiner would have a outstanding game and then, you know, still trouble breaking down plays uh, and runners in front of him there. So I still think that you know, there's young guys out there who can come in and, and fill a role on defense and uh, that safety position may be the spot.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you go back and look at the film, there's at least, at least one busted coverage where somebody gets yeah. behind everybody in every game. Yep. Every game. Now, you know, against Tennessee, they weren't able to take advantage of it. Against Auburn, they weren't able to take advantage of it enough to be able to exploit it. Against LSU, they got absolutely torched. <laughs> and then against Georgia, they were able to take advantage of not necessarily – I mean, the busted coverage, obviously, yeah. for the dagger at the end. But even then, like busted coverages in terms of not necessarily being in the right place in the zone or – And we saw um, it last
0: week with Virginia too on one drive. you know, And even Brian Greasy, you said, mark that drive down because there were two plays in a row where they had guys wide open down the field.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and Steiner and Taylor were not on the field for that drive. Right. So, um, you know, again, I, I think it's, it's, it's understandable when you've got guys who, I mean, these guys are in their second year in the system, so maybe it's not completely understandable, but it, it's the limitation. And, um, you know, I think everybody recognizes that that the safety is going to need to improve. But at the same time, when your front four is getting pressure, your safeties look a lot better. And and sometimes that was the problem too. It's not as if they were getting to Joe Burrow or or to, to Jake Fromm when he was back there. And if you don't put any pressure on the quarterback, then, you know, the, your defensive backs are going to get exposed no matter who you are. And and so it, it all works as a, as a team. And, you know, when you had Grenard and, and Zaniga go out, that certainly had an impact on things too, as well. So, um, you know, the, the defense this year was good, not great. I think that's probably accurate, right? Like yeah. when the defense played against a team that was either excellent or just sort of maybe good, but not, great that but not bad. They struggled. And when they faced a team that was, you know, sort of 50th and below in offense, then they were able to excel. And, and that's kind of where they wound up on defense. Now it turns out that when you're sitting sort of in a good, but not great on offense and good, but not great on defense, you win 11 games. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a good season and and an excellent building block, but obviously to get where they need to go, um, both units are going to need to take a step up.
0: Absolutely. So the other big news and another player returning would be Trevon Grimes, uh, they're a bit, you know really good news uh, for for the wide receiver position. Also with the commitment of Xavier Henderson uh, this past weekend, so uh, some really good news for the wide receiver position. You know, of course, we have the departures of Van Jefferson, Freddie Swain, Josh Hammond, Tyreek Cleveland. Uh, the Gators would need some more of the unsung guys to show up and try and replicate what we saw from from those guys the last couple of seasons. Kyle Pitts led the team in receptions last season, and he'll return. But, you know, but Grimes was the next best proven receiver that Florida's getting back. And, look, he really needed to return to, to potentially become uh, the main wide receiver. Uh, Pitts still you know, splits uh, you know the wide receiver role with the tight end positions. But as far as a true wide receiver goes, you know, Grimes has the potential to, to be that guy and um, what he had to say, uh, for him coming back here, he goes, after a great 2019 season, I have discussed my future with my family and coaches. I'm excited to say that you will see me playing in the swamp in 2020. I want to finish my degree and help lead the university of Florida to a championship. So, you know, six foot five, 214 pound wide out South Florida, you know, he finished, this, uh, this past season with 33 catches, 491 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, In the two seasons since transferring from Ohio State, 59 receptions for 855 yards and five touchdowns. So, well, he was fifth on the team in receptions this past season, and that was ahead of you know Josh Hammond and, and Tyree Cleveland, two guys that are leaving. So, you know, one would expect Grimes to get more balls thrown his way with the departure of, uh, of the guys we mentioned earlier before. Uh, we don't know the status of Kadarius Tony and, and whether he's going to return or not. Uh, so as far as another wide receiver that comes that would come back with experience, Jekyll Copeland received a good bit of playing time this season, but we saw at times just how – good it can be with him but also the other side of it where he wasn't where he was supposed to be at times and, and also running wrong routes. so in order for this wide receiver core to be as good as it can be you know next season Grimes was going to have to be part of that rotation
1: yeah I mean it's a big deal to have him come back beyond just the receptions and the leadership the fact that he's a big guy who can block on the outside mm-hmm. and that's something that's been a staple of the offense with Swain and Hammond and Cleveland and, and Grimes is going to sort of be able to carry that torch um you know, especially I, I would expect the running game to be better next year, but I'd be really surprised if Florida's like a top 15 running program or something. <laughs> you know, I think that's just a, that's a lot to ask for the offensive line and the, and the running backs to grow that much over the course of a season. Now, obviously we've got some transfers coming in who, who might, who might make a difference there as well with some of their ability, but at the same time, you can't rely on it being a running offense. And so, you know, this year bringing in Trask and having him chuck the ball around all these guys who are really experienced, um, really made a difference, but also they were able to supplement the running game with a lot of the screen passes and the blocking that they got and just being able to spread things out four or five wide and the defense having to cover the entire field because the ball could go anywhere to any of those guys. And that's one of the reasons why Trask excelled so well is just because he was willing to spread it to where the defense dictated and then there was always somebody open. So I think Grimes will have an opportunity to get a little bit more, uh, be able to show his wares a little bit more, but you also probably – Should expect some coverages to be rolled his way, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. if he's going to be the number one guy, they're going to roll coverages his way, and then it is going to be up to Pitts and Copeland and and you know potentially shorter if they bring him in or Mm -hmm. or um, you know some of the other guys as well. I mean, you got the other pouncy brother coming into transferring though. I think he has to sit out this year, doesn't he? But um, you know, again, it's um, it's a thin room. And there are gonna be some opportunities for for guys for guys like Xavier Henderson to come in and play right away just because of the way the the uh the room sets up right now i you know it's sort of the same thing that you said with maybe the defensive ends last year that that the guys at the top are really really excellent, but if there's an injury or two. You know, you don't really know who you've got coming in behind. I think that was what sort of proved, proved out this year with with Florida is when Grenard and Eagle were out there, the defense was excellent. And then when those guys went down, obviously the pass rush sort of went away. So, um, you know, th- that would be the risk in the wide receiver room. And certainly having Grimes back um, lowers that risk a little bit because he's the, he's the top dog there.
0: Yep, and we're talking about making that room better. And the good news continued Saturday, Will, at the All-American Bowl when wide receiver Xavier Henderson committed to the Gators over Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama. This was more of a a Clemson-Florida battle uh, lately. And and what a pull for Florida here. Uh, Henderson down from Miami-Columbus High School, of course, the brother of uh, Christopher Henderson. Uh, According to the 24-7 sports uh, composite here, 6'3", weighing 184 pounds, Greater a 97 score on 24 seven sports composite good for a four-star ranking the 59th ranked player in the country 10th ranked wide receiver in the class of 2020 and the state of Florida's 12th ranked recruit clocked at a 4.44 40 yard dash with a 37 inch vertical so a, a big bodied wide receiver and as we saw in the all-american bowl on saturday can go up and get the ball also you know catch catch a screen and look smooth running uh a, a, after the catch so Twenty-four-seven Sports John Garcia offered this scouting report of him: a tall, quote, a tall, slender, and muscular wide receiver prospect out of Miami who made a massive leap from 2017 through 2018 as an athlete, legit deep threat with breakaway speed, verified track times to validate explosive relative to uh, um, explosive relative to size, short or long distances. Ultra productive in Florida's highest school classification with three scores in state title game. Solid route runner who can be effective on double move with uh, with plus hands, wide catch radius, and can find the football at its apex with good tracking skills and body control. And that was, you know, like I said, we saw that Saturday uh, in uh, in the Army uh, in the All American Bowl. Uh, he drives off the line of scrimmage with great lean, puts considerable pressure on defensive backs soon after the snap. Effective after the catch with long stride, but not as effective laterally. We need to add mass, could stand to play more physical before taking over uh, wide receiver one spot at a high end power five program fairly early in his college career. Uh, could prove productive on the national stage and turn overall package into early NFL draft selection down the line so a pretty good uh look there at xavier henderson from 24 uh, 7 sports and and their scouting report there so well as i said you could look at saturday and tell florida was getting a, a big time player but this is a recruit uh we've had our eyes on for quite some time
1: yeah well certainly we should know him well right because yeah. <laughs> i'm sure he's spent plenty of time at the program with his brother being there and 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 it's a good sign i think that you know even with some of the uh some of the flack that CJ took this year, that his brother still wants to come to Florida and be a Gator. And, and obviously whenever you can bring in a top 100 guy, that's a big deal. And, and at a position of need, I mean, wide receiver obviously is a position of need though. You know, the other thing I think we need to be looking for is guys like Deontay Marks and Jamarcus Weston. Um, they, yeah. they obviously, yeah, out there too. Yep. There. they obviously didn't got, get out there very much, but one of the things Mullen has really done is he's now got a bunch of big guys out there. I mean, you mentioned mm. Henderson is six, three and a half, and then you got, Marks is only five eleven, but Jamarcus Weston is six foot three. So you know, and then Grimes is not a small guy either, and Copeland's a pretty big guy. So they are they are building some size on the outside, and I think that's one of the things that even with Hammond and uh, and and Swain, those guys were not small. They the only guy out there who's been small has been Tony, and and uh, you know we'll see whether he comes back, but. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's going – one of those guys is going to have to step up from the 19 class, You know, whether it's Marks or Weston or, or even Whittemore. Somebody's going to have to step up and, and, and fill that role. And not only that, one of the things that the wide receivers that are leaving – um, one of the things they really did was they all played special teams, mm-hmm. right? Not, not on punt coverage, kickoff coverage, and then you had Swain back there, who was one of the more reliable punt returners you're ever going to have. I mean, I never worried that he was going to fumble the ball back there right. at all. And so,
0: yeah, I know um, a lot of people wanted playmaking ability back there, but you really could tell Mo and just wanted nobody, or wanted somebody back there who just would not mess it up.
1: And catch the ball and don't get a block <laughs> in the back. I mean, that's really <laughs> all you want these days from a punt return, and 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 Swain was able to do that. So uh, again, I. I think one of the one of the things that's going to be really interesting to see is whether guys like, you know, if Iverson Clement gets an opportunity on special teams or, or Naquan Wright gets, gets an opportunity on special teams, just because Florida does have a little bit more depth at running back than they do at wide receiver. And so some of those guys may need to step into that space.
0: Yeah, you know, kind of going back to to the receiver room there, and and kind of what you just brought up. And this may even be the year where we see a a true freshman wide receiver make noise uh, for the first time in a couple of seasons. You know, I I fully expect Grimes, Pitts, and Copeland to to be the main guys next season, but you know, there's finally an opportunity for uh, young players to to break through here, young wide receivers to break through. Florida had so much experience the last couple of seasons that they didn't have to force freshmen out there before they were needed, you know, before they needed to be out there. So, you know, they've been able to get worked in and and get their feet wet here. So so, so in last year's class that you brought up, you know, Jamarcus Weston, Trent Riddlemore, Deontay Marks, and the class before consisting of of Copeland, all able to get their red shirts. So I think that's pretty important for what Mullins kind of wanted to to build with this program. I uh, here so far so uh, i think the position is still in a nice spot coming up in 2020 without having to force freshmen like henderson and, and frazier's who had a heck of a game uh, at the under armor bowl last week he caught six passes for 60 yards and a touchdown uh, on seven targets uh, and hopefully leonard manuel makes it into uh, we'll find out you know with that in the, in the next month or so but you know the wide receivers will still be in a position where these freshmen won't need to be out there before they're ready but you know what, Will? They may be ready because when you look at the potential of, of this group, and particularly Frazier's and, and Xavier Henderson, they they may force their way out there, and that can only be a good sign for the Gators. If you see if you see Frazier's and Henderson out there early, I think it's a really good sign because that means they've kind of earned their way to be out there.
1: Well, what it means is that we know they can block, because yep. <laughs> that's what keeps people off the field when they're wide receivers for Mullen. If if, if you're watching.
0: Yeah, and before you go out there, you know, Will Salmon with The Athletic put out an article profiling Henderson, and his head coach, basically, one of the main parts that he made sure to point out about Henderson was his blocking.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's been one of the, you know, whenever people have asked, why isn't a certain player out there getting more touches, usually the reason he's not getting more touches is because he's not being real effective when he has to block in the running game, and and that's um, especially as the offensive line grows, I think that's going to be more and more important. Two years ago, they relied a lot on the wide receivers blocking, and it wasn't until that South Carolina game really that that carries Tony at least specifically pancaked a couple of guys from South Carolina in that game. And it's not a coincidence that he was out on the field a lot more after that. And and that's really the types of things that they're going to have to be able to show. And then you know it's a relatively complex offense for a college offense that Mullen runs, and there are, you've got to be able to trust your wide receiver that he's going to run the right route, and then he's going to run the right, he's going to make the right read off the right coverage. And, and so, you know, it's going to take a little while for these guys to learn that. So, you know, the guys who get in early have an advantage, obviously these guys aren't getting in early. So um, yeah, I I think, I mean, I guess you could take it one of two ways, right? I mean, if these guys are playing game one, it either says something about the 19 class or it says something about Mm -hmm. how special these guys are, the 20 class, and we probably won't know until they really go up against a a good set of DBs, but Um, I'm excited to see what these guys have. I, I think that they are, um you know, you mentioned Frazier's and then certainly Henderson. I'm excited to see because those top one hundred guys are the guys that you really expect to contribute right away and and Florida can certainly use that,
0: yeah, I would hope it would not mean the part where the last year's guys aren't that good. And, and, but and the reason I say that is because, all around college football, and especially at schools like you know, good look at Alabama and the receivers that they have, and those guys are out there making plays from day one. You like you, you Jerry Judy types, and don't get me wrong, you know, I don't want to compare everybody to Jerry Judy, but you, you'd like to see some freshman receivers out there making the plays.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think so. Here's the deal, right? I mean, Georgia has an awful lot of talented guys at wide receiver, but they had a lot of freshmen this year and obviously their passing game struggled. Some of that is due to from and some regression and maybe the offensive coordinator not necessarily being as good as maybe some people thought coming into the year. But I mean, some of that is due to the wide receivers who are young and they're going to be growing pains. I mean, there's a reason why these guys go out there and put in all kinds of work after the after the after the practice is over, there's a reason why Tom Brady throws with his wide receivers in the offseason. I mean, it makes a difference to have a chemistry with them and to have, um, you know, sort of have a feel for what they're going to do. And, and you don't get that with a freshman wide receiver. So um, there is a risk to having a guy like that in. But obviously, if, if you're a special kind of player. And and you can, you can take the ball to the house. I mean, that's sort of the thing about Henderson is it looks mm. like when you look at him that he's one of those guys who isn't just going to be able to take a screen pass to the house. He's a guy who might really be able to be a deep threat. And he's so big that he's going to be able to go up and get it, even if the quarterback doesn't make a perfect throw. And, you know, that's something that, You know, Florida's been able to do a little bit of that under Mullen, but the quarterbacks had to be pretty precise or the wide receivers had to get really open in order for those big plays to really hit down the field. There's been slants that have gone the distance. There have been throws out to the wide receiver on screens that have gone the distance, but there haven't been a ton of bombs that have gone the distance. And, uh, you know, I suspect that Henderson hopefully is going to be able to open that up a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I thought, you know, Tyree Cleveland would maybe uh, excel in his career, but still uh, wasn't able to, to 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 keep that going. You know, from early in his career to the, the big bomb against Tennessee, of course, uh, there. And then, uh, you, well, you talk about big plays with him too. The the shrug of uh, LSU and running for what like a ninety eight yard touchdown from Austin Appleby. So, <laughs> those type of big plays. Dang. Boy, times have changed. <laughs> oh well, wow, has it? Uh, you know, and one player because we labeled the tight end, of course, Kyle Pitts, but for all intents and purposes more of a wide receiver of course but you the blocking got better there uh, as the year went on but also Keon Keon Zipper a big time tight end commitment from from last year what kind of role does he play you know you don't necessarily see a whole lot of uh, do, do you see two players kind of in a similar play style i guess you know I, if you if i'm looking i'd say Keon Zipper is more of a Kyle Pitts kind of tied in where he's probably a receiver first, more so than a blocker uh, there. So, you know, I, I st- you don't, you're don't you not going to take Pitts out uh, to, to put him in uh, so so many times. But, you know, red zone situations, close to the goal line situations, you, you may see a player like Zipper out there.
1: Wow. Well, some of the things they did with Zipperer this year, at least in limited amounts of time, yeah. was they had him at H-back. Yep. So you bring him in there, you put him in the backfield, and then you've got another guy who's a threat but is big enough to be able to block um, you know, as, as the lead man for the running back. And if he's willing to do that, we actually saw the Patriots do that a little bit with Aaron Hernandez and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and Gronkowski where Gronk would be on the outside blocking. And then Hernandez would be in the backfield. And he even <laughs> played like a running back a little bit when he yeah. was in there, but you know, he was a guy who was an H back and moved around a little bit more. So, I mean, the reality is, is and I kind of expected to see a little bit more of it this year and we didn't see it with, with crawling Pitts, but, if you've got guys who can at least pretend to block and be the, be a threat Mm -hmm. to block, and then you can split them out wide, then it puts the defense in a situation where you can't, you don't know whether to be a nickel based on the personnel grouping that Florida brings in there. And so floor, if Florida goes two tight ends and you bring in a bunch of linebackers and then all of a sudden you split pit, pits out in motion, it's like, all right, now we got pits mm-hmm. on a on a linebacker. I like that matchup. And those sorts of things are the things you can do if you've got both zipper and pits out on the field, but that's contingent upon them being able to block well enough to keep the defense honest. And you know, one of the one of the reasons we didn't see the two tight end sets very much this year was just because Florida didn't run the ball yeah. very much. And if you're not going to try to run the ball, the defense is gonna leave gonna leave the nickel in, and and that personnel advantage doesn't necessarily have the same the same feel, though obviously Pitts was good enough to beat whoever you had on him.
0: Right, right. So the good news continued, of course, and that was uh in regards to uh this time of transfer, Will. Uh and Gator Nation got some really good news with, that included Big time transfer from Miami and the former Miami hurricane running back Lorenzo Lingard, uh, you know, and um, his message he sent out uh, to announce his decision quote, I am truly blessed and thankful to be a Gator. Uh, he posted on his Twitter account, you know, the people who made this possible have changed my life. I am ready to do whatever it takes to become the best Gator as a team player and student athlete. I know my dad is excited for this. I want to maximize everything in quote. So, He mentions his dad there, and and Lingard's dad has some health issues, and that played a part uh, here in Florida becoming his destination. Originally from north of Orlando in Orange City, Lingard was a five-star recruit at the running back position, 6'1", 185-pound, was the 25th-ranked player. Uh, in, in the class of tw- thousand eighteen, so that was his measurables there. Uh, second ranked running back in the country at that time, six ranked prospect in the state of Florida as well. So his true freshman season was cut short in twenty eighteen due to a knee injury that he sustained in practice. And then, uh, according to Miami's uh, coach Manny Diaz, this uh, past season Lingard was planning to take a redshirt this or you know this com- this past season uh, because he was still working his working his way back from that knee injury. Uh, with Lingard playing in just two games, uh, he retained his redshirt status. So, you know, Florida did their homework here, Will, uh, you know, and, and they needed to, and making sure his knee was good to go, making sure everything was right behind the scenes. You know, it's been a crazy, tumultuous, Disappointing two seasons in Miami uh, with Mark. You know, last couple of years with Mart Rick getting fired and and then or retiring. Uh, Manny Diaz taking over. Uh, Diaz brings in Dan Enos as offensive coordinator. He's fired after one season. So you know, there's no telling why Lingard didn't play much this season. You know, but but feel comfortable in knowing the staff did their due diligence here. Yeah, so so, and, so what was the buzz uh, around Lingard uh, as a recruit here? I had to go back and look at, and 24-7 had this scouting report uh, of him. He's a north and south runner that does a good job of pumping his legs and fighting through initial contact to move the chains. The running back has intriguing measurables at tailback and flashes outstanding vision and craftiness when operating with the football as well. This is a hard-nosed back that has no problem putting his shoulder down and playing with physicality, so there's a good mixture Mixture of size and toughness with Lingard. So will we know Mullen's success so far in dealing with the transfer portal? And uh, if potential means anything, he hit another home run here and raising the talent level on the roster.
1: Yeah, I mean, anytime you have an opportunity to add a five-star guy, I think you got to do it. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we mentioned this last last uh, last recruiting cycle with Christopher Steele. It wasn't necessarily the going out to California that was the that was the thing that. That was the deal breaker there for me, but it was that it's a high variance strategy, right? That you're going out there and you're you're trying to bring in a guy from California when maybe the resources would be better spent on Florida. Um, And and I think... The transfer portal is sort of the same type of thing as it's a it's a high variance strategy. Cause if you bring him in and he's excellent, you get one year out of him because you go to the NFL. And same thing with Brenton Cox and and same thing with with any of the other transfers they bring in. At the same time, if if you bring him in and they give you one fantastic year, then is it worth it? Right. So you're sort of weighing those two things. And with Lingard in particular, um, you know, obviously we'll have to see whether he's completely help, healthy from his knee, knee injury. And, and, you know, we saw – you see this all the time with players where sometimes it takes them a couple of years to recover from the injury. And so in this case – um, he's had that year off and this is the second year coming off that injury. And and if he's got his burst that sort of comes back, then you would expect him to compete for for the job. I mean, it'll be, you know, you got Damian Pierce in there who's obviously going to be fighting for that starting job too. And Gator fans have wanted to see him play. So mm-hmm. you're going to get Pierce, but obviously having somebody to back him up of the pedigree of Lingard makes, uh, makes a big difference for Florida. I mean, it's obviously a talent upgrade and you would suspect that um, that Bowen and his staff, are comfortable with not just the injury, but comfortable with the um, level of player that they're bringing in here and, and what he can do for the team.
0: Yeah, as you said, the thought is there's a good chance uh, or Florida feels good about him being eligible uh, for the uh, 2020 season. We'll see uh, how that plays out. We know we can never tell what the NCAA is going to do <laughs> here. Uh, we've given up uh, on uh, on trying to figure out what, what that is. What thing is, get you a good lawyer. That, that, that helps. Uh, so uh, you know, we saw uh, Brett Cox. He, uh, for all, he probably found out somewhere around midseason. I know Mullen kind of kept it under wraps. So I don't know why he never really announced it. But uh, season's over now. I think would feel pretty comfortable and say, and the NCAA did a uh, did rule uh, on. Uh, Cox and him and, and ruling him ineligible uh, for the season so we'll see what the ncaa does uh, there and, and kind of following up with, with uh, lingard's uh, dad being uh, sick and maybe him being a little closer but you know Miami's not that far so i don't know how they'll how they'll view that uh, when it's all said and done but yeah well i mean you go and look at you know van jefferson of course javon grimes transfers there uh wide receiver schuler grenard uh, on the defensive front as you kind of just mentioned a uh, is it worth it? It, it bringing in transfers and Mullen's done a good job so far to where you say absolutely it's been worth it the way he's attacked it. And even going back and looking at players for one year, I mean, absolutely it was worth John, having Jonathan Grenard this year and everything he was able to to bring to the table. We wonder what this defense would do without to Polite and finding a pass rusher. Well, they, you know, thankfully, this didn't rest on the laurels and say, "Okay, what well, Jabar Zuniga's got it." Well, you know, Jabar Zuniga got hurt, so luckily there was a, a transfer like Jonathan Grenard coming in, being able to to produce on the field like he did there. So, uh, yeah, uh, right now, uh, I said, th- in the grand scheme of things, would you like to have these type of players come in as recruits so you know you get them for three or four years? Absolutely. I still think that's the better long-term vision uh, of success. But when you can have a guy fall in your lap or you go out there and have a good chance of going out there and getting a five-star, by all means, you go do it.
1: Well, especially when you think you're close. Yeah. If you think you're close and you think that the guy can push you over the edge, then absolutely you want to do that. One of, one of the things that's been a little bit surprising is, and maybe it's just that there haven't been the right guys out there, but you know the, obviously Cox is going to come in and basically fill Grenard's spot. Lingard's going to come in and I mean basically fill P. Ryan's spot if he's eligible. You got Jordan Pouncey out at wide receiver. Obviously, they're looking at, to add another guy out at wide receiver as well. The weakness of the offense was the offensive line. And, and so if you were thinking about where are you going to plug holes or where, where might you want to bring in a transfer, that's sort of the space that you'd think of. So you wonder whether they're just comfortable with the guys they've got and some of the guys that they redshirted and, and the depth that they've got there. But, uh, you know, that's maybe the one place where I would have thought to see them go after an improvement, but obviously you sort of deal with the, with the guys who are out there and the guys who fit what you want to do and, and the guys who are high level. I do think that you don't want to get into the habit of taking sort of. 200 to 400 ranked guys through the transfer portal real often because you, the reality is just because of the way the initial counter system works, if a guy comes in and counts as a counter for, so let's say Lingard comes in, he's going to count as a, as an initial counter. So Florida only has 25 of those every year. They've got a few more this year because you can count them back because of early enrollees and things like that. But, you know, you've got a limited number of guys that you can actually have in each class. And if Lingard comes in this year, performs really, really well, and then goes to the NFL, well, you only got one year out of that counter. So y- you really have to hit yeah. on the guys that you bring in as transfers. And Mullen's been able to do that, right? I mean, he hit with Jefferson, he hit with Grimes, he hit with Grenard. And so if he hits with these guys, nobody's going to question it. But if he misses on a couple, then that's a problem because if you bring in guys for three or four years, just because of the way the counters work, um, you know, you really only have to hit on guys about 50% of the time, um, at least at the blue chip level that, that Mullen's recruiting at, but you got to hit in the 80 to 90% range with these transfers. If this is how you're going to build a program and you, and your goal is to win the SEC. And, um, but again these guys have the pedigree to be special and if you and if you get two guys who come out there and are special cogs in the team this year and in, in in 2020 then no one's going to complain
0: yeah and will it's kind of also you know, we're just it's a new world for college football and uh, look transfers have always happened but it's now you know, the fad <laughs> the transfers happen uh, they're definitely a lot more publicized uh, than they used to be, but uh, it, it happens now and it's a world of free agency in college football. So I think it's, it, it's kind of hard to know the trend because, you know, this transfer portal definitely has ramped up the way players transfer now. Uh, so, you know, we've seen Mullen attack it early, more so uh, often than, than a lot of other coaches out there. Part of that's because he came to Florida with the roster that, needed some holes to be filled and uh, he's a high profile coach at a high profile school that can go out there and uh, go out there and and target guys like this. So it's kind of hard to right. You can quantify it early on right now that it's been a big success uh, for Mullen in his first two seasons at Florida. Um, once more years behind that before I determine you know how, how successful uh, that is long term. When he beats
1: Georgia, we'll say we'll yeah. say it's yeah. successful. But <laughs> right. I, you know, at the end of the day, I think you look at it, and there are multiple ways to build a program. Um, I think the um, the reality is is that I think we both believe that high level recruiting is necessary, but the transfer portal is allowing recruiting to not necessarily just be. Um, you know, national signing day. And then you wait for four years to see whether those guys pan out. This does allow a little bit more movement and, you know, Florida's had the same thing. I mean, Malik Langham, you know, know, he, he transferred out and you obviously Jalen Jones, though, that was a little bit um, different situation, but You know, there have been guys who have transferred out already from the program. And so you're gonna have to bring in some people to replace some of those guys. So um, the attrition is going to be a little bit higher, the churn is gonna be a little bit higher. And maybe this is the way that people are going to look back and say, wow, that's how you should really manipulate the transfer portal. But it'd be I mean, obviously ideally you'd love to have a top three class and be manipulating the transfer Mm -hmm. transfer portal. But you know, again, maybe you don't have holes. And and that is one of the things I think when you look back at the roster that McElwain left Mullen, I mean, obviously in 2018 running the ball was a strength and then the entire offensive line basically graduated. Mm -hmm. And so the offensive line struggles this year, but they've got a bunch of wide receivers who are, who are experienced. And so throwing the ball becomes their strength and now those guys are leaving. And so, you know, using the portal to start to sort of fill those gaps and make things a little bit more balanced. Cause ideally what you'd really like to have is sort of a group of two or three classes that all sort of grow up together yeah. and become sustainable over time that way. Um, and then obviously if you can, if you can um, supplement that with elite quarterback play, then you're going to be really, really good.
0: All right. One little uh, last no- uh, news item before we get into looking back at our, uh, some of our, Preseason fun over-unders and uh, picks that we had here. Uh, Todd Grantham, uh, Will, uh, emerging as a leading candidate for Mississippi State, according to Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. Um, It would hurt in the the first thought, mostly everybody has, of losing Todd Grantham would be losing linebacker coach and basically leading recruiter Christian Robinson uh, here, who would probably go with Grantham. Uh, He's attached to Grantham. Grantham was his defensive coordinator at Georgia. Uh, He brought him in at Mississippi state, brought him in and gave him his first job at Florida as the linebackers coach. So he is going to be tied with, with Todd Grantham, but also the other side of that is being reported out there as well. uh, The quarterback coach, Brian Johnson could be Grantham's offensive coordinator. If he goes out there and takes a job, uh, you know, specifically this Mississippi state job. So he'd be pulling, uh, pulling away from uh, this Florida staff a little bit. I don't know if he'd try and poach anybody else uh, from Dan Mullen staff or not, but uh, no, it's, Worth mentioning here, Will, Uh, I think Mississippi State will move pretty quick. So by the time most people, or not most, but some people listen to this podcast, Mississippi State may have already decided on a coach uh, here. But, you know, the two big names out there right now, Joe Judge, who's in the NFL, is a a Mississippi State alum. He interviewed with the New York Giants and Mississippi State on Monday. So we'll see the the outcome of that. Uh, Billy Napier, uh, former Alabama assistant uh, there and and, uh, current head coach, he was the leading candidate uh, there, and it seemed to turn the job down. I still think it's worth keeping an eye on for him uh, if maybe Judge or Grantham uh, isn't the guy. So we'll uh, we'll get into when we kind of look back at some of our picks here about some of our thoughts about this defense there. But a, a lot of it with Todd Grantham. Of course, uh, overall, I still think he's a really good defensive coordinator, but we's, we, through two years now, I think it's safe to say it's got to get better in the big games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's exactly who we thought he was when he came in. I mean, I went back and reread something I wrote, you know, two years ago when he came in, and it was he doesn't make a huge difference in recruiting. So you're going to recruit about exactly like you did before he came. Um, he can schematically take advantage of teams that are less talented than his, but he's not necessarily you know, developing game plans that shut down teams that are significantly better. And I think we've seen that, Um,
0: you know. I like like where defensive recruiting really is right now.
1: Well, I mean, so again, I think that sort of goes back to Robinson and whether you think
0: that's (laughs)
1: Grant was doing that. Look, it's always a good thing when your coaches are being poached. Because if your coaches are being poached, then it means that you're, you're hiring people who are either recruiting at a high level or developing at a high level because somebody sees something in those guys that they want to replicate in their own program. So you want there to be churn on the staff. And in fact, I think in some capacity, it's even a good thing to have churn in the staff. And sure, I think Brian Johnson's done a very, very good job and deserves a lot of credit for guys like Kyle Trash being ready to play when there's an injury. At the same time, I mean, Dan Mullen is the guy who's working with the quarterbacks, right? So um, I, I don't know that you... I mean, I think that's probably one of the reasons why Johnson would leave is that he wants to prove himself outside of the fact that he's Dan Mullen's quarterback coach and Mullen sort of controls that. So, um, you know, I'm not going to be heartbroken if Grantham leaves, but I do think it's a hole to fill. And I think they need to find somebody quality to come in and fill that hole if, in fact, it it shows up. But um, they also should have the money to do it because Grantham makes an awful lot of money. So there will be an opportunity to bring in somebody good.
0: Yep, so uh, like I said, some of that talk about Grantham will kind of uh, bleed over here as we look back at some of our uh, preseason predictions here, Will, and and the fun we have <laughs> right before every season of, of picking over-unders and uh, some of our uh, topics for certain players, uh, of course. So we'll start with, and this one will have to be – amended a little bit it was felipe franks and 30 touchdowns uh, so uh, he had 31 uh the, the year before 24 passing touchdowns six rushing but uh with this one we kind of have to shift it to combine i think franks and trash just for the the fun of it. of course franks uh, was not going to uh, hit the 30 <laughs> 30 touchdown mark here but if you combine franks uh franks and Trask. Um, passing touchdowns they hit right at thirty. So add in their rushing touchdowns. As Trask had four, Franks had one on the season. Then you get thirty-five touchdowns combined for the starting quarterback position. So you know, it, excuse me here at least for for there's no way telling Franks would get injured uh, and miss the majority of the season.
1: Yeah, so I had the under on this one, but I had the under because of Emory Jones, mm-hmm. and I, I thought Emory Jones was going to play, and I thought they were going to use him a lot to run the ball. (laughs) And and I mean, when he came in, he ran the ball, but they really didn't use him very much. And so um, obviously a lot of that is because of the running game and and some of the struggles they had up front. But some of it I think is just due to the fact that Jones got beat out by first Franks and then Trask. So um, yeah, I mean, it was one where I think um, it, it coming into the season, it was a little bit, you know, you weren't necessarily sure whether Florida was going to be able to replicate some of the things that they did on offense from mm-hmm. the year before, and they really didn't. I mean, they were really good running the ball last year and kind of yeah. average passing, and this year they were really good running the ball and they were bad – or really good passing the ball and bad running it. And so everything sort of flipped, but it obviously flipped to where that over-under on the, uh, on the touchdowns hit.
0: Yeah, I went over and uh, I'll give myself a little bit of credit here. I said, with the weapons at wide receiver and a backlight, like Piran out of the backfield. So there we go. <laughs> Piron was definitely used as a receiver at the backfield a good bit, more so even I thought, because of, like, as you said, the struggles in the run game and the way to get him to ball with the ball were was to get him involved uh, in the passing game there. one, Will, you definitely got right. I was definitely way off on Piron and a thousand rushing yards. I, I, I took the over barely there. Uh so you had him in
1: the Heisman discussion during
0: I the- I, okay he was my dark horse. Yeah I, no I wasn't putting him in the Heisman. I'm just, if there was a dark horse candidate out there I, that's why I had him in there. Uh but yeah you're right. I, I expected P Ryan to to you know of course hit that thousand yards and uh nope uh wasn't anywhere close uh to that I said he barely gets it but no it was it was it was not even close there. Uh so uh let's see so uh like i said in no way did i see the struggles in the run game happen but it did happen he he finished with 676 rushing yards on the year had some big runs versus Auburn and Virginia uh but didn't have the season i predicted him to have you know mostly because of the struggles in the offensive line uh but luckily he had a big hand in in the passing game will
1: yeah, I mean, obviously he was a big part of what they did on offense. It was just a different way of doing it. And you know, I, I guessed under on this one just because of Davis, Pierce, Clement, Copeland, Tony. I figured all those guys were going to get a bunch of carries. Turns out nobody got a bunch of carries. <laughs> I had to go go through the air a lot of the time. And I was a little bit surprised that Malik Davis didn't get as much run as I thought he he might. I mean, he was just sort of an actor yeah. on the offense. And and same with Iverson Clement. So. Um,
0: just yeah. imagine how worse P Ron's numbers would have been if Franks had stayed healthy.
1: Well, you know, I, I that is, that's a really interesting question because I, I think that they, when they you
0: the run game overall,
1: well, when you go back and look at the first three games, there was a lot more quarterback running and obviously that's how Franks got hurt. So, is that something that they would have continued to do? Would mm-hmm. it have continued to be 50-50 with Franks at, behind center? I, I don't necessarily know. And and maybe at that point they just get stubborn and say, we're going to have to run the ball and and try to drive it down people's throats. But once it became clear what Trask's strengths were and that he wasn't necessarily going to occupy that outside uh, that outside rusher with with people being scared of him in the running game, particularly after the knee injury against Auburn, I think it just became pretty clear they were going to have to throw the ball, and, and that's what Mullen did.
0: All right, then as we move on here, it was uh 50 catches for any wide receiver there. Uh, Jefferson led the way last season with 35. The next closest was Grimes with 26. But fast forward to this one, uh, and barely got this one as Jefferson ended the uh, 2019 season. Uh, but 49 catches there, so barely, uh barely missed it. Uh, so uh, I, I, I said under on that one, so barely got it. I didn't think any receiver was going to get 50 catches and uh, there. So, uh, if we if we had to have one wide receiver labeled as a true number one, then it would probably be uh, Van Jefferson. The emergence of Kyle Pitts, I think, took away some chances for more receptions there for for true wide receivers. Florida spread the ball around so much, but caused a depth at the position and the emergence of Kyle Pitts. So it was going to be tough for uh, a guy to get fifty catches. So one, I barely got right here, Will, with uh, Jefferson and him him getting forty nine instead of fifty. <laughs>
1: So wait, you're calling Pitts a glorified tight end, or a glorified wide receiver earlier in the uh, in the podcast, and now you don't count him when it allows you to claim the under on the 50 catches for a wide receiver. I'm just saying
0: he ate, he ate into he ate into the receptions.
1: <laughs> well, I missed this one anyway because I said yes, and I thought it was going to be Trevon Grimes. He did it. He had oh yeah, he had had 11 catches in his first six games last year, and then he had five against FSU. Oh, yeah. I thought that was sort of a sign of how they were going to use him, and then it just sort of. They spread it out to everybody, and that's one of the things. It was one of the things that was really interesting going into that Virginia game. Is Virginia had three guys who had more than sixty catches, and Florida had Pitts who who was barely over fifty. Um, you know, and then everybody else was sort of in that, and then you had Jefferson at forty nine, and everybody else down like the thirty to thirty five range. So I think it's a testament. Okay, hold
0: on. I'll see what you were saying now. As as, as anybody as re, as a receiver getting 50 and, and Pitts had it. So, okay. I got what you were saying now.
1: Yeah, so, to, so it depends on how, how yeah, you yeah, yeah. it, I suppose, but yeah. uh, no, nah, I mean, I, I look, I, I think the wide receivers played great. I just don't know that they were necessary. It, it was so spread out that, uh, and, and I think if you'd have told me that that was going to be why it was an under, I would have told you we were going to have a really good year. <laughs> Cause that means you got a quarterback reading the defense and, and putting the ball where it needs to go. And, and so certainly then uh, you know, Florida was able to do that this year.
0: Uh, yeah semantics there so if you want to say i'm right you can say i'm right if you want to say i'm wrong you can say i'm wrong i'll, I'll be fine with, i'll be fine with the answer there
1: <laughs> all right no, nobody should bet on any advice we give anyway so
0: <laughs> no exactly uh offense will here we go 30 points per game uh that we had the um, it was 35 last season there so uh and the gators hit the over here again uh this year with 33 points two points per game. Gator scored over 30 points, seven times uh, this season scored 40 or more, four times. Surprisingly though, if you look at it, as I said, it was 35 last season, 33. So surprisingly it was two points less than last season, even though it may not have felt like it. Florida actually scored less this season as a whole than they did last season. So uh, I guess I said, Gator 35 points per game last year, 33 uh, this, this uh, past year. And uh, you know, a lot of it with the the games, the game against Kentucky and Auburn Uh, Miami there where Florida didn't really put up points, Missouri as well, uh, where Florida didn't uh, put up a whole lot of points, but uh, you know, still got over that 30 point mark.
1: Yeah. And one of the big things is they didn't necessarily blow out the FCS opponents that they played extensively. I mean, right. I mean, they want them 38 to nothing and, and I think 40 something.
0: 40, up. Yeah. 45 to I think the other one,
1: but last year or two years ago, they were beating everybody by 50. And I think that was sort of by design, right? That yeah. Mullen really wanted to make sure that, that, that Franks and the offense were getting some confidence because they hadn't had that in a while. So yeah, I mean, I think the offense performed just about where it performed last year. Um, like I said, it just sort of performed it differently and yep. one of the places where they were a little bit less effective just because they had so much trouble running the ball was in the red zone and so that's sort of why you see that 2 point difference
0: yeah yep. so took the over there you took the you took the over there too didn't you
1: i did i thought it was going to be barely so i said you know 30 points per game is the bare minimum frank's is better but um you know but but yeah i figured it'd be barely over that
0: uh one spot of defense we set the number at 21 points per game and uh Gators hit that one really, really good, and uh, as, I, as I said back at, before the season, I was continuing to drink the Kool-Aid, and I went with the under and did it again. Gators only gave up 15.46 points per game last year. That was good for uh, this past season, 15.46 uh, points per game. That was good for seventh in the country Really aided by shutting out UT Martin, Towson, and Vanu, uh, while allowing only three to Tennessee and six to Missouri. Uh, would have liked to have seen that points per game uh, will be a couple points lower by showing up against Georgia and LSU. So <laughs> uh, no, no shame against uh, no no shame in the LSU game really because they were a force all season. But a couple more stops could have been the difference uh, in that game. Of course, uh, no shame really. Also holding Georgia to twenty four points, but it's because of the you know, third down conversions there, why Georgia was able to put some points on the board. So uh, if it was would have been a couple points lower on the season, Florida may have had a, an even better season. But uh, you know, giving up only fifteen point four six points per game, fifteen point four six, not a not a bad number.
1: Yeah, I actually had them as the over here just because they had so many turnovers in 2018. I mean, polite coming around the corner, strip sacks for for fumbles and all that sort of stuff, and a lot of interceptions as well. And and I didn't suspect that they'd be able to withstand that. And you know, one of the things they did struggle with at times was to get off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about inconsistency in the secondary earlier, but or earlier in the podcast, but there were also just inconsistency in their ability to get off the field for, like, quarters at a time, where they'd be dominant in the first and second quarter, and then all of a sudden in the third quarter couldn't get off the field. So I know fans were a little bit frustrated at the defense, but then you'd look at the stats at the end of the day and be like, right. wow, this defense is really, really good. And, uh, you know, I, I think really, really good is a good way to describe them. They weren't great, but they were really, really good. And and really, in some capacity, we able to make up for some of the deficiencies that that the offense had at times as well.
0: All right, and here, uh, one, continue to nail here. Sacks, the number was 30 again. We'll have to raise this next year, Will. <laughs> it can't be set at 30 uh, again next year because uh, this one, uh, it was 37 uh last year and then in this past season the gators go way over 30 here with 49 sacks on the season started with 10 versus miami in the first game of the season ended the regular season with eight versus florida state so 18 sacks between those two in-state rivals uh jonathan grenard led the way with nine and a half zachary carter mamu diabate both had four and a half sacks apiece in two seasons under Grantham, this hasn't been an issue, Will, and you, know, you would like to see it more in big games. I just I just said, when we're, when we're discussing Grantham, uh, the points per game and all that stuff, you'd like to see a lot of these stats relay to big games. Uh, Sacks had it happen uh, versus Jordan in the last two seasons, couldn't get to Burrow with the limited Grenard and Zuniga this past season. Uh, so it, it, it's a great mark. It is a benchmark in Todd Grantham's defense of being able to get to the quarterback, but we just need it more in big games.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, again, it's it's a we it's come up multiple times, and maybe the the word for 2020 is going to be consistency, yeah. right? That, that it's that if you're going to get 10 sacks against Miami, you need 10 sacks against LSU too. Like you need to be able to get pressure on everybody, not just necessarily against a few teams. And and yeah, I mean, they were they're already a third of the way at the 30 <laughs> sacks after the first game, and uh, with the two FCS guys on the roster, it was pretty much a given at that point. And and Grantham's always been able to dial up pressure um in in fits and spurts but obviously in the game against georgia he didn't necessarily he wasn't able to do that and against lsu when he did try to dial up pressure he just got carved up so um yeah i I think again the defense played really really well this year and so i think the big question was um was grenard and grenard answered every question that guy made himself a lot of money
0: yeah absolutely here so quickly we'll go through these these last few here ultimate game changers we kind of Hit on certain topics for for players. I said P. Ryan, uh, missed that one uh, a little bit, but in, in a way, I i still think you could label him that this past season, even though, because look, there was not really a, you know, besides the quarterback position, not really a skill player that you could hone in on, you know, besides maybe Kyle Pitts, uh, in, in that midseason stretch that he had where he was just a, a mismatch there. But as far as Ultimate Game Changer goes, I still, think you could label P. Ryan that because the games where he hit the game changing runs went a long way in determining the winner of those two games, the Auburn and Virginia game. Uh, So to me, it's kind of just really hard to pinpoint one player.
1: Yeah, so I had Amari Burney, and he just wasn't really healthy enough to be a game mm-hmm. changer. He was out there, and there were a few times, the South Carolina game specifically, where he was out there on wide receivers way down the field for and playing pass defense and then certainly being able to fill in as a linebacker. And, and Grant, though, had really pra- had really sung his praises coming into the year, and so you expected him to have a pretty big year. But I, I think you hit on it, man. If I had to name the guy who was the game changer for 2019, it was Kyle Pitts. Yeah. That guy was – I mean, he he dictated what the defense had to do and the defense has had to come out and start game playing to get him out of the game. And, and whenever you can get some, whenever somebody has to come in and say, that's the guy we have to stop. You know, that's the guy I'm going to say is the game changer.
0: And obviously on defense, if you want to name a player, there are that guy, so (laughs) Uh, best tandem. I went with Marco and CJ before the season, Uh, probably didn't uh, live up to that expectation. So kind of just, Continuing the theme we have here, I'll go Van Jefferson Kyle Pitts uh, in, in the passing game. Ended up being the best tandem, uh, I think. If Zuniga would have stayed healthy, then I think it, we, it could have went to the defensive side of the ball with Gernard and Zuniga. Uh, but I think the two pass catchers were instrumental in giving trash, reliable targets you know, over and over again with him coming in, needing to fill in, uh, needing some reliable receivers out there. You know, They led the team in catches and yards. Pitts had 54 catches. Uh, Jefferson hauling in 49. Uh, Jefferson barely edged out Pitts uh, with six hundred. 57 yards compared to Pitt 649. So to me probably the best tandem on the field with those two uh well, those two tight end receivers for like uh for Kyle Trask.
1: Yeah, I mean for some reason I have this one written down. I'm sure I went with with, yeah. with Wilson and And actually I think you can still go with those guys. I mean I think you know yeah. the fact that Wilson was able to slide into the this- slide into the nickel and and contribute there and open up space and was willing to open up space for somebody like Kyrie Elam to go on the outside and then and then Henderson again I don't think he had the same type of season he had a year ago but I still think um, most of the time the offense has avoided going after him and and I think if you look at his stats overall you'd probably it's sort of the same thing with the defense right the defense is inconsistent you go why why can't they get off the field they must not be very good then you look at the stats at the end of the year and go oh well yeah they were pretty good Mm so I think sort of the same thing with Henderson so I still think Henderson and Wilson especially because of the sacrifice Wilson had to make in order to allow Elam on the field and make the make the defensive backfield better
0: uh breakout player I think you could go with a ties there we're just kind of mentioning some of the same players here now breakout player I mentioned Jeremiah Moon Jonathan Grenard stole all the production. I thought Jeremiah Moore <laughs> may make it. Uh, you know Jonathan Grenard coming into the season. I, I talked highly about him. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect what he brought to the table uh, this year. Kyle Pitts, I think, is another breakout player that you could you could put here uh, as well. Uh, so those two, Pitts, Grenard, it's not even close. And I remember having the um, uh, uh, pick six previews on the, the the podcast before the season started and. um John Ciancia, and him being from that uh, Pennsylvania area up there and seeing Kyle Pitts in high school and kind of pinpointing the player he thought Kyle Pitts would be, and uh, it it showed up.
1: Yeah, So I had Grimes here as the breakout player, and he was okay, but he was not necessarily a breakout player. I think the guy you got to look at for breakout players, Trask. I mean, yeah. for somebody to come in and, and I mean, he was probably the third best quarterback in the SEC. He's going to go into next year, maybe even being ranked as the top guy in the SEC with Burrow and, and Tua now leaving. So, um, you know, that season does not go anywhere near 11 and two. If Trask comes in and performs at an Applebee or a Del, or a Del Rio level, right? Mm-hmm. Like he performed at a level that was better than Felipe Franks performed last year. And that's why Florida is 11 and three or 11 and two. And so I think he's a breakout player.
0: Uh, Brett Ciency and not John CNC. I don't know why I called him John. Uh, I don't know. have no idea. Uh, no respect. Uh, last, uh, going into the season, I put that label on Felipe Franks because of the national narrative uh, surrounding Felipe Franks. And heck, with him transferring and. Uh, everything that happened, I still think you could probably put that label on him. Uh, we don't know what kind of season Felipe Franks would have had. The numbers were pretty good uh, before he was injured. Uh, I still think Florida loses that Kentucky game though. Uh, if, uh, if he doesn't go down there and contrast comes in and, and saves the team there, I still think Frank, you know Franks could get labeled that, but as far as players who played a, a whole lot of the season, that was, that one's kind of hard to come up with as players that don't really get a whole lot of respect.
1: Yeah. Well, so I had Donovan Steiner, as the guy I didn't think got a whole lot of respect. He had 49 tackles and two interceptions in 2018, and this year did have four picks, but certainly mm-hmm. struggled at times as well. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I think if you point at the Florida safeties, you could certainly say that those guys don't get a whole lot of respect.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely there. Uh, best kept secret, uh, labeled Malik Davis going into the season, that was the best kept secret. That didn't turn out uh, all, all great, as you said, Will. Um, I don't know if the injuries uh, have just kind of – Limited him and, and what he's been able to do. I know early on in the season it was fumbles, uh, not being able to hang on to the ball. Uh, he wasn't bad that mid-season there. He wasn't getting the whole the ball a whole lot with fumbles versus what Miami and Tennessee, I believe there, uh, where, where he turned where he uh, uh, fumbled the ball. So um, I think we can label this one again that that, that the best kept secret was actually uh, one Kyle Pitts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, so I had Emery Jones. I thought they were going to use him in the running game and and he's still the best kept secret because they, <laughs> yeah, they didn't necessarily let him play all that much. But yeah, you know, again, I, I think when you look back over the season, and one of the things that's sort of fun during the offseason is to go back and start rewatching games. And um, you know, when when you go back and look at that Auburn game, he was really instrumental sure. in being able to win that game, when Trask got injured, and it looked like it was going to be a substantial knee injury when when he had the guy sort of roll up on his knee. And, and Jones came in and led a field goal drive that not only sort of calmed things down for Florida, but also gave Trask time to go back into the locker room and then get get taped up and come back out. So, um, you know, I, I think everybody sort of was expecting to see more from Emory this past year, but, but he had his moments and certainly contributed.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, the way it played out, I think it was Kyle Pitts, but as you said, moving forward, it still may be Emory Jones. <laughs> uh, all intangible. I had labeled that Amari Bernie, but I think it ended up being, uh, I think it ended up being LaMichael Piran. Uh, uh, honestly, with, even with not rushing the ball, uh, the, the best this season, would, it's still a threat in, in the passing game with his 40 receptions, five touchdowns through the air. Uh, we saw it late last year in the Peach Bowl, what he was able to do as a receiver uh, and now kind of, through this whole season, this past season, and, and capping it off uh, in the Orange Bowl as well. And he showed uh, just how intangible that he could be. Yeah,
1: he really became a spokesman for the program and sort of what Mullen's building there and and the Gator standard and, and really the way these guys have bought in. And I think that was really sort of neat to see. Um, the guy I had listed was David Reese. And I think Mm -hmm. that still sort of holds true. I mean, he didn't really need to speak up this year just because everybody was in line. I mean, if you think about it, I I don't really recall a whole bunch of suspensions, even for the opening game. And, and, you know, everybody was able to stay focused this year. And, you know, two years ago, they really struggled against Kentucky and couldn't stop the run. And this year against Kentucky, there were a couple of, there were a couple of plays in particular, a fourth down play where if they don't make the stop and it was Reese making the stop, if they don't make the stop, Florida doesn't, Florida doesn't win that game because Tras doesn't have an opportunity to bring them back. And, and so, you know, it's one of those things where there are certainly opportunities to take advantage of recent coverage, but sort of what I said about Steiner too, is you're in the right spot. The question is do you make the play sometimes you do sometimes you don't but david reese more times than not in his career at florida has been able to do that
0: yeah it's kind of going you know, for, for p Ryan, It was going back all the way back to like sec media days and the, and the talk of um you know not alabama and auburn not recruiting him and and, and then against auburn i mean what a better what, you know one of the probably the top play of the season and it's out there, you know, Michael P. Right, hitting the 81-yard the run versus Auburn and stuff. So it's moments like that there uh, that uh, we, we can take a look back on. Uh, one, I think, I, yeah, as I mentioned earlier in the episode and definitely hit this one, biggest shoes to fill uh labeled trading filling in for Chauncey Gardner Johnson and that one uh nailed that one. Uh Dean didn't king didn't come close to, to filling the shoes of Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Eventually it led to to, to a benching and, and wonder where he'll play next season probably won't be at star. Will it be at outside as a reserve cornerback or do they move him and, and try him at safety there. So uh man, Chauncey Gardner Johnson seeing now what he's doing in the NFL as well and what he did his last year at Florida, man, those were some big shoes to fill, Will.
1: Yeah, well, he almost saved the same season yesterday until until the end when uh, when Rudolph was past interfering there at the end. But uh, yeah, I, I think again, this sort of you know I already talked about it in terms of breakout player. But I think the guy who really had the biggest shoes to fill was Trask with, with mm-hmm. Frank's going down and 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 was able to do that and able to fill them well. And I don't remember who I picked to do this before the before the season. <laughs> so I, you know, it's it's one of those things where. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I just think Trask is the guy who really, and, and I agree with you. Dean coming in for Chauncey Gardner Johnson, it's it's a drop off, and we saw that a couple of years ago with Gardner Johnson coming in and and not necessarily um, playing at the level we thought he was going to going to in 2017. And so you hope you see sort of the same same bounce back from Dean um, here in 2020, where you know he's gotten the experience and he's gotten sort of an understanding of what it's going to take during the offseason to prepare for that position, and that he'll be able to contribute.
0: And there you go. I mean, speaking of Chance of Governor Johnson in 2017, many of us thought he was playing kind of in an out-of-position role for him. So maybe they find this kind of magical place, you know, they can place uh, Trey Dean where he can make the best of his ability.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think Dean is a talented player. Yeah. The question is, are you in the right place? Are you taking the right angles? All those sorts of things. Those are coachable things. Um, you know, the the things that become – hard to coach or when the guy is in the right position and can't make the play because he's physically limited. And Dean doesn't have that problem. Dean's (laughs) Dean's problem is is that, you know, the one play I'm thinking of in particular was a third down and maybe like 13 or 14 against Georgia early in that game where they hit somebody coming across the middle and the angle was just bad and it turned into a first down. And then, you know, George is able to go down score a touchdown and, and get ahead real quick off the bat. And, you know, those sorts of things are things that are correctable. And so I suspect that with a full off season of, you know, and, and obviously Dean was, was demoted when they brought, when they put Marco Wilson into the star. So, um, being able having another year to look at the tape, understand what's going on, and I'm sure there probably being a drive to to allow Wilson to show what he can do on the outside. Mm-hmm. And if Dean can can slide back in on the inside, that'll only benefit Florida.
0: Whew, this is the jam-packed episode, Will. <laughs> have a, have well, you know,
1: looking back at how often we were wrong, it takes a while. <laughs> yeah.
0: absolutely so a lot of fun a lot of fun going back and looking at that and also a lot of fun for gator nation lately in in the last week or so getting all the good news of commitments and and returnees and transfers that uh, will make the gators better uh in 2020 well man before we go uh, what you got coming up on reading reaction
1: Yeah, I'm sure I'll be writing about the transfers a little bit and sort of what it means in terms of where Florida stands coming into this year from a talent perspective. One of the interesting things looking back is how much they relied on the seniors this year, and some of these transfers are hopefully going to be able to sort of even things out a little bit. and then I'm going back to look at the film at this point. So see what Trask did over the course of the year that made him different and mm-hmm. and uh, and sort of what can we look for? Because I know there's been some talk out there about him being able to maybe not replicate what Burrow did because that's sort of a once in a lifetime type of yeah. thing. But being able to take a step forward after having a full year at the helm. And and so the question is, do the stats say that and do the film say that Say that that's in the cards or has he sort of reached his ceiling? Those are the things that hopefully I'll be looking at in the next couple of weeks.
0: All right, and next week on Gators Breakdown, we'll record live on Tuesday night because next Monday night, of course, is the national championship game between Clemson and the LSU. Will Miles, Joe Burrow's Tigers, uh, there. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if Will's uh, uh, you know, uh, prediction on Joe Burrow can take it to the ultimate level uh, of winning the national championship.
1: Oh man, it's not often that I'm right, so I got I got to take a little bit of uh, I got to enjoy it when I am because I
0: don't know who loves Joe Burrow more, you Coach O or you?
1: <laughs> well, I I think I tweeted at him after he won the Heisman that he doesn't know me, but if he did, he'd have a restraining order. So that, <laughs> that's probably about right. But yeah, you know, it, it's funny you, you get you get connected to these guys when you, when you sit there and watch film and normally it happens with your own team. Yeah. You spend enough time watching film of, of Florida and you go, okay, those are guys that I love and guys that I enjoy watching play and, and who do things the right way and that sort of stuff. But obviously with sort of the dynamic of the transfer portal and Burrow coming from Ohio state. That was something that we'd all sort of taken a look at beforehand and me maybe closer than other people. So um, yeah, it's, it's been, I mean, obviously I would love to be seeing him excelling at Florida, um, and I would have loved to have seen him play at a Heisman level in every game, except for Florida. But, uh, but you know, I don't particularly like Joe Oliva, but other than that, I have no ill will towards LSU. And so I want to see Florida beat him when, when Florida plays him. but I don't, it, it's not like if Georgia was in this game. Cause then I'd be actively rooting for Clemson, and <laughs> uh, you know, that's really the Georgia and maybe Tennessee are the two teams where when they go play, I'm like, you know, the other day when Tennessee was playing, I was like, eh, it'd be all right if they lost. but. um but other than that, man, the SEC is dominating in bowl season. So I think, yeah. you know, the fact that LSU was able to run that gauntlet does say something about how good they are, and they're going to get a chance to prove it. I mean, the question is, is Oklahoma really as bad as as people think the Big 12 might be, or is LSU just a juggernaut? Because, I mean, geez, that game was like 42-7 to with nine minutes left in the second quarter. Um, and, uh, I mean, that was an impressive, impressive game. So we'll see if they can do the same thing against Clemson.
0: Yeah, and the thing about that is, you know, Oklahoma's used to seeing high-flying offenses. That's nothing new in the Big Twelve, and this was still something new that they had seen. Yeah, you know, in that barrage that was in the, in Atlanta,
1: dude, that was embarrassing. It was like watching. It was like watching a team from from a much higher division in high school yeah. just go out there. It was like, oh, this is like, where's the mercy rule? Like, do we do we have a running clock? Like, how, how does this work? And, you know, I mean. T- Oklahoma came back and scored a couple of touchdowns but god it was just it, it was just a massacre. Uh, I mean, I can't remember a game where I mean where I mean that's how you beat a cupcake. Yeah. That's not that's not how you beat the fourth the number 4 team in the country even if that team isn't necessarily Right. Absolute number four team in the country. There's still a top 10 team and, you know, to go out there in a neutral field and just blast them. I mean, that's really impressive. So, and and it's not as if they haven't been doing that all year. I mean, they blasted Georgia and, and beat Alabama in sort of a shootout, but, uh, and, and Florida in a bit of a shootout. So they have beat some quality teams and it's going to be really, I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what happens. I mean, you know, it's one of these things where you can see a game where it's maybe, you know, 42 to 17 or something like that. But, but hopefully it's a little bit closer and it's a, it's a good game and and we'll see who comes out on top.
0: Yeah. Interesting to see, we know what Brett Venables has a couple weeks now, because for whatever reason, the national championship game is not played on this Monday night. Uh, I guess new Orleans was too busy, uh, to, to host a game, uh, whatever, but, uh, well, you know, we'll see. You got two weeks, you know, what, two and a half weeks, around two weeks to prepare for uh, this uh, LSU offense, and Brent Venables is known as a pretty great defensive coordinator in his time at Clemson. So we'll see if he can dial anything up and slow down these. or right, I'll be go Tigers.
1: Well, I, I suspect that LSU is going to have a bit of a home field advantage. Yeah. Uh, they have done that before when they've won the national title, so – that's one Are of they those. the
0: last two or three times they've won it. They've, it's been in new Orleans or something like that, or maybe even every time they've won it, something like that.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, you know, I don't necessarily think of LSU as having this really long history of football yeah. sort of when I was growing up, you know, you're watching the Spurrier teams and LSU wasn't necessarily an impediment there. And then even under urban Meyer, yeah, they got them every once in a while, but it wasn't, it, it was Florida was clearly the superior team, and and certainly um, they've been sort of neck and neck the last few years, and then this year obviously LSU is better than everybody. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I am um, I'm interested to see on a Monday night in New Orleans with LSU there um, how wild and inebriated the LSU fans are. Because uh, if I were a student there, I would absolutely be making that drive.
0: Oh heck yeah, heck yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe this is Joe Brady's last game as a, an offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, whatever uh, at LSU. Hopefully, hopefully he's gone. But uh,
1: <laughs> well, we'll see. I I, I kind of want him to stay because I really want him. I want I want an answer to the question of whether it was Burrow or Brady. And and how much of that what how much of it was one and how much of it was the other because you know if 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 Burrow leaves and and you got the control there with with the other guy they got behind him and he's not as good then you know it says something about how good Burrow was um, but so I kind of like to see that but yeah more than anything I want to beat teams that are good yeah, right? I, yeah. I have no problem like my my the the focus that I put on recruiting is because I want to go out and beat Alabama when they're excellent. I don't want to go beat Alabama when they're having an eight and five season. Not that they've had one of those in like a decade, but I don't want to beat Alabama when they're eight and five. I want to beat Alabama when they're 12 and 0 and beat them in the SEC championship game and
0: then they go play for the national
1: championship. So I'm fine. If LSU is good, as long as Florida's humming.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love that whole debate. Is it the coach or is it the player? Because I mean, what was Tim Tebow have been without Dan Mullen or, you know, Urban Meyer It's just, yeah, that's a, it's a conversation I think that well turns it, turn turn out It
1: doesn't matter when you hoist the trophy, so
0: exactly, it doesn't exactly.
1: <laughs> so, so hopefully, Mullen doesn't end up on the Cowboys, and we'll be good.
0: Uh, no, uh, McCarthy.
1: Oh, that's right, McCarthy. Yeah,
0: got today, he so. got he got the job. So yeah, so
1: no more stupid rumors.
0: No more stupid rumors uh, there. So yeah, next week we'll uh, take a look back. Uh, we'll 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 talk some LSU, Clemson, just because of uh, it is the last game uh, of the college football season, and I'm sure. Uh, When you go to bed on next Monday night and or wake up Tuesday morning, there will be some uh, top 25 for 2020 polls out there. So that will be pretty much the discussion because I'm sure Florida will be top 10, maybe top five in some of these uh, discussions out there. Will so I think we pretty much know what to look forward to next week and what we'll be discussing in the college football uh, playoff national championship. And uh, where will the Gators be in the eyes of the nation heading into 2020?
1: Yeah man it's a silly season so uh, hopefully the arrests are minimal and the recruits are plentiful <laughs> and uh, you know we'll we'll obviously delve into next year over the next few months it's going to be fun cuz you know the schedule is a little bit lighter this year coming up and and Flores going to have an opportunity even if they're not quite as good i think they're going to have an opportunity to maybe have a better record and and you know it's going to give them an opportunity to that Georgia game is going to be critical again but if they can get over that hump um, some special things can happen
0: alright that is Will Miles you can find him at his site readandreaction.com and on twitter at Will Miles SEC I'm the host of Gators Breakdown David Waters you can find me on twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown